0: Welcome to the Wani Gold Talk podcast. Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. Uh, Last week, we had David Griffin, and it went fantastic. A week before that, we had a couple of writers from the LA Times that are going to be covering LeBron James. That went fantastic as well. So I think we've gotten the hang of this guest thing, Joe, and that seems to be something that people actually like from us. So today, we've got another one, buddy.
1: Right, and and I think right off the top, what makes this so good and so special is that um, there's more of me than you. Um, <laughs> we have people on, um, then I get to introduce them because I'm clearly the people person of the two of us, and you right. are the grumpy curmudgeon in the corner. Right, and everybody who knows us would agree. Certainly. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, we we do have another guest. Um, I have two. Very prominent neighbors, Uh, very very high high ranking members of the Cavs community. Um, Both live uh, on or near Lake Road in Bay Village. We won't get any further than that. Um, And uh, and this is one of my neighbors today. Although neither of us could be bothered to uh, walk the two thousand feet from my house to his, Uh, so we're all doing this on our uh, computers. But uh, none other than the television voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, our favorite, uh, local, local announcer, uh, who has enjoyed, um, outrageously good ratings, uh, over the last four years for, for local broadcasts in the NBA. And of course we are talking about none other than Fred McLeod. So Fred, uh, thanks for coming on today. Go Bay Rockets. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Go Bay Rockets. Hopefully now, by the time you all are hearing this, hopefully they will be 2-0, and uh, at least I hope so. Uh, but they're playing university school uh, on Friday. So I know we have at least a couple university fans out there, so sorry about that. Uh,
2: but Fred, how's, uh, how's your summer going? Well, it was good until about uh, three weeks ago when I was put on the IR with a uh, bone spur in the elbow. I was telling Chris before we uh, went on, I'm sure overuse. And uh, so it's got an MRI last night which i've oh never had in my life and so uh we'll find out what uh procedure i'm going to need to take but it's i've shut it down i'm chipping and putting at uh, various outings like the Cavs outing with the season ticket holders on monday and um i did a whole lot of chip but, <laughs> but, but, but no it kills me because you know i throw all my uh in-season passion for the Cavs and the nba right into golf and um so I've been a mere bystander. Going to the gym doesn't cut it for. Uh, although I'm on a new, <laughs> new Joey D. If you guys know Joey D., he uh, works out Dustin Johnson and um, uh, Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka and so yep. I'm I'm on his uh, flexibility hip program, and so I'm one week into that. So that's helped a little bit, but I'm I'm a uh, boring mess right now. <laughs> Next thing you know, Fred's going to be winning some U.S. Opens working with Joey D. You well, know, sure. there was a uh, Fred McLeod, by the way, spelled the same if, if you go into golf history. I think 1890 – no, 1902 or 1904, Fred McLeod in Scotland won the U.S. Open.
1: So, oh, no wow. Re- no So, re- so, so my I- last name, of course, uh, is spelled the same as uh, as Harry Varden's uh, right. and, and we share uh, the name of the, of course, trophy handed out to yes. the low average scorer for the year on the PGA. and
2: um, It's now known as the idea. Joe Vardin's trophy.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, this hasn't helped me, uh, helped me at all with, with, with my golfing endeavors. There's, there's, like, like with Griff, uh, when we were so happy to have him on, and there's so many things um, that we could talk about with him, the kind of like uh, you know, small talk and sort of uh, inside jokes and whatever. Fred is uh, an amazing guy and a, a totally unique guy. There's so many different things we can get him on here. He's, he's, a, uh, he's a hell of a golfer. He is a walking encyclopedia who occasionally has trouble on subway trains. Um, We could get into that, of course. And he's also, uh, of course, he travels the country with the Cavs, and he uh, could be staying at the various Four Seasons throughout the country. But instead, Fred stays with us uh, at the Marriott's um, a couple blocks away in almost every town. And I want to ask him why.
2: Well, I've always been with them and, uh, you know, just, you know, they always treat me right. And NBA officials are always there. You, you have no idea how many uh, conversations I've had with NBA officials over the years in the, in the gym and <laughs> they're going over block charges with me. And, uh, so it's pretty cool. So it's just, a uh, you know, good way to see those guys as well away from, uh, you know, the, the norm and, uh, I've become a, an absolute rules junkie over the last, I don't know, seven, eight years, just because, you know, the NBA really has pushed that to allow us to get access to those guys. And I find it fascinating, really fascinating to, um, you know, learn the rules through, through their eyes. And uh, it's been pretty cool. So I, I I think you can get even more, uh, you know, understanding of, of the intricacies of the rules face to face when, uh, when they know that you're truly interested in in their job and not not an adversary
1: i like that he's so you can see he's a uh, he's a reporter at
0: heart he's doing this for sourcing
2: exactly. um, but i think you buried the lead
0: fred i think everybody understands that if you stay at a marriott you get bonus points that has to play into it too it has to
2: Well, oh, sure every every writer in america has done that <laughs> every, uh, tv broadcaster in america has done that for years so no they, they they've got a good program and you know, it's always really close to the arena and so um I just uh, nobody nobody cares where i sleep and eat because on the road and i don't know what your your guy's routine is but mine is a maybe break away for <clears throat> dinner for an hour night before a game the rest time i'm buried uh, getting work done so um, the one thing we are not
1: going to do Fred is talk about my <laughs> nightly routine on a cleveland.com sponsored
2: <laughs> podcast we don't want to put people to sleep no, but it's people ask me what my favorite city is and I said well it's usually four walls and a hotel because it's seriously I, I'm I'm there to work and uh, you know not pat myself on the back but that's it's it's for me. It's it's an intense um, day to day to stay on top of it, and so um, I, I I never get out and sightsee it, ever ever. So it's just unless we have an extra day off, and there's truly you know nothing to to work on. So and that maybe happens twice a year, twice a season.
1: No, I mean, and I don't know, because um, as you know, uh, I'm with you uh, throughout the entire year. So I uh, almost never get to see um, and hear you work. So I'm not sure how much of this uh, fans know. But a- as I mentioned, you're kind of a walking encyclopedia. You, have, uh, you take copious notes, um, and actually they're usually handwritten, I think. Uh, off of uh, all the, the clips from throughout the NBA, all the press clippings. Uh, you watch uh, NBA League Pass uh, obsessively, um, all in preparation for, uh, for for your telecast, not just so you know what's going on with the Cavs, of course, but so that you are intricately aware of the opponent that you'll be dealing with that night and then also what's going on throughout the league. So if you could maybe take our, our, uh, our listeners through that a little bit just – how you prepare the way you do and and why?
2: Well, I'm a storyteller by trade. You know, I'm sports anchored for 34 years. And so I'm a a writer by trade, not at at your guys level, but, you know, but I I do take a lot of pride in it. So part of that is, and a big part of it, is preparation and and storytelling. And I love humor. And so, um, you know, I'm digging and trying to find, you know, whether it's talking to coaches or – fellow colleagues in the business or uh, you know reading team websites and and trying to glean those stories that, that'll make people laugh and, and smile and, and find it interesting because anybody can tell you that uh, you know uh, Wendell Carter Jr. is from Duke and he's 19 years old and mm-hmm. he's from Atlanta area anybody can do that <clears throat> and that's when you can tell when certain broadcasters are not doing deep homework when they tell you the routine but but maybe I can tell you that, uh, you know, he's got size 19 shoes. I don't know what he has, but you know what I'm saying? So, so I'm in a, and so I save that in my vault of information that, that, uh, on my laptop that I print and, uh, try to find the right time to, to weave those in. And many times it's something that AC can identify with. And, uh, and then the other big, big part of what I do is video preparation. So I'm looking at, um, a video program that I can see what a certain player has done over the last I don't know, 10, 15, 20 games. I can go back as far as I want, but it's recent going back to pass and I can find tendencies and, and then I'm looking for to see what statistically, and I don't want to overburden the viewer with stats, but, but there are some relevancies to, you know, if a guy's a good mid range shooter, if he's a good corner three shooter. And so all that takes time. And um, I just, it's, just the way I'm wired. Like I said, I'm not patting myself on the back, but if you prepare at at a high, high level, I I guess I learned it very, very early on, guys, when when I did the Indians back in 1979 with Joe Castiglione and our our very first broadcast with the Yankees at the old stadium was a a four-hour rain delay. And and we did not go back. I was at Channel 8 at the time. We did not go back to the studio for a movie. They kept it right at the ballpark. And so – only because of uh, preparation did, did we weather that storm. And Joe is now finishing his 36th year, I think, with the Red Sox, and I'm, I just finished my 35th year in the NBA. So uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you, you learn to do it the right way, and, and I'm sure you guys abide by the the same preparation mantra. And when you do, um, you're ready for anything.
0: How about the catchphrases, or how about the descriptors that you use throughout the course of the game? Like,
2: where do those come from, Fred? You know, it's just a feel, and you know, just, again, you like to have fun with them and, um, you know, just sometimes, especially now with social media, people repeat <laughs> back to you. And then you go, Oh yeah, they that kind of worked. And so you just stick with it, but it's just, um, it's just having fun with it and yeah, and try to be entertaining. And <clears throat> listen, we all know that AC and I know particularly better than anybody. that The story is the, the players on the floor, Mm-hmm. The best players in the world, and so you just—that's uh, my challenge. Once I put put the headset on, is to to try to stay up with the incredible speed of the game and, and the Red. greatness of the athletes. And so um, you know, it's just you, you, that's the nightly challenge of staying on, staying up with it, and, and on top of it, and 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 frankly, anticipating too.
1: Doing doing this as long as you have, um, do you still? Do you still listen to other broadcasters to get a sense of, of how they do it, um, or if you, or was there a time when you were maybe uh, coming up in the business that you that you would do that to just to get a sense of the different styles that were out
2: there, and, and who did you like? I mean, you know, very early on when I started in Detroit, um, I reached out to Joe Tate because I, he was instrumental in me in my first year of the Cavs in seventy nine eighty when Stan Albeck was the coach. And, um, that Bill Fitch had just left, and so uh, I had one trial game in seventy eight seventy nine, and, and Bill was still the head coach, and he took me into, um, you know, some video sessions on film. By the way, and um, so that that was kind of a early bedrock, and then Joe Tate was really incredibly helpful for a rookie broadcaster, rookie play by play, because I was mainly just sports anchor, and at Channel Eight, and then um, so anyway, after I started doing the Pistons in Detroit, I reached out to Joe and I said, can you critique this for me? And I sent him a, you know, a sample. And he said, you know, I don't need to tell you what to do. You're, you're there already. So that meant a heck of a lot coming from a future hall of famer. You know, I'll be indebted to Joe for the rest of my career. Uh, But in terms of listening to others, I'm listening more to for stories that they're they're telling about their guys. And um, you know, we all, Borrow from me. I don't want to say steal. We all borrow from each other, and so um, you know, if I'm watch, watching Atlanta Hawks and Bob Rathman's doing the the Hawks game with Dominique, and he tells an interesting story about whomever it might be, then you know, go like, oh, maybe our viewers would find that interesting. So, mm-hmm. um, but, so but you know, I, I don't think we really listen to critique each other. You know, we're we're all in this very uh, select. Fraternity and, and lucky to be there, and we all have great respect for each other, and uh, you know, friendships pretty much with with all on me, out of mutual respect. And um, so, but yeah, I'm I'm a voracious uh, watcher of NBA League Pass. I think it's an unbelievable uh, tool that fans are able to to dive into to listen to other broadcasts, and um, it's just fun. If you're an NBA junkie, it's you know I live on it.
1: Or if you're a Warriors junkie like like Feele. easy,
2: easy. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so I'm sorry, Fred. Um, how? J- just real quick, how, what season is this for you on with the
2: Cavs? This will be uh, including 1979-80. Uh, this will be uh, number 14 coming up.
1: Okay, so you, of course, were here um, in the 10-11 season. Right. Okay. Uh, and so here we are. Um, this is, we're heading into the franchise's second first year without LeBron. Uh, the first first year did not go well, um, and it was the start of arguably the four worst years in franchise history, uh, which were then turned around immediately when LeBron came home. Um, and I want to talk to you a lot about this, um, in part because you've lived it, uh, as so many of the Cavs fans have. Um, uh, and you lived it in a way that that, that I uh, haven't. Um, I was I was in Columbus when that happened the first time. Um, and then I also just want to get a sense from you of. of can
2: I, can of, I steal that word, by the way? How do you spell grummus? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, going, going into my notes right now. I was going to say he's going to bust it out
0: on opening night, just in honor of you, Joe.
2: Yeah. Well, the, the was, are in a grummus right now, but yeah, uh, it's People, early in the ball game.
0: They should they should use uh they should do a lot of things in my honor.
1: Anyway, um so starting there though, things were so bad the first time around with this and, and the heat struggled as well. What uh what can realistically be expected from the Cavs this year in, in year one without LeBron?
2: I think it's an entirely different scenario. I mean, you know, you look back to that team with, you know, Baron Davis and Anthony Parker and Antoine Jamison, you know players are much older in their careers, um, you know, didn't have a first round draft pick obviously. And so it was really uh, starting from scratch. And then ultimately that season you know, led us into, uh, to Kyrie Irving, um, you know, where this, this group is, you know, you got, got some core players. And, and I think uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited about calling this team. I'm excited about watching them because they're going to continue to grow. And, um, you know, certainly in the conversation is I think David Griffin told you guys to be a, a playoff team. Um, so, you know, that team eight years ago didn't have an all-star this one does. And, uh, so it, it's, it's part of the NBA. You can't stay on top forever. And, um, you know, my job as a broadcaster is to again, tell stories and to, uh, be excited about my team, which I am. And, um, you know, in the four years that, that we uh, broadcast the first time without LeBron. I'm not tuning our horn, trust me. I'm just stating fact. We were still, and and it's a testament to our fan base. Mm -hmm. We were still in the top 10 in ratings in the NBA uh, in that four year period. I don't know exactly what the number was, but, Mm -hmm. uh, but people were were still watching and people were still interested and I'm fully uh, expecting the same thing to happen because um, Cleveland fans are diehard and they, they ride through thick and thin and, um, there's it's going to be exciting to watch young players like Colin Sexton and Jetty Osman, uh, you know, develop. And I think Jordan Clarkson is going to come back a little bit of a different player. Ty Lewis spent a lot of time with him this summer, and he's playing very well for the Philippines right now, and Larry Nash Jr. So you know, Ante Zizic. So there are a multitude of storylines as the season will develop, and, uh, and guys improving. And I, I think the fan base understands that, and we'll get behind guys that are busting their tail and, and trying to get better.
0: So even though this, this time mm-hmm. around is, is different than the last time around, like you said, Fred, and, and there's more talent this time than there was in, in 2010, and I think the organization itself was more prepared for this possibly happening than they were in 2010, and they would probably tell you that same thing. Was it hard for those four years to, to try and keep that kind of team interesting? Mm-hmm. Like, I know Kyrie was there, and he was doing amazing things. But mixed in there, there were a lot of coaching changes too, Fred, and there were a lot of losing streaks, historic losing streaks for the franchise too. So was it hard during that time, those four years, to try and keep the team interesting?
2: No, because it's still the NBA. It's still, yeah. in my mind, the best and I'm sure my MLB I'm sure Matt Underwood would say, Well, MOBs the the best job in the world, but <clears throat> you know, I love the NBA. It's I go back to roots when I lived in Growing up in Strongsville, we didn't even have a team yet. The Cavaliers weren't even born. And I I was a St. Louis Hawks junkie because I could pick them up on radio. And one year when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old, I vividly remember they were knocked out of the playoffs. And I I was crying. And my mother was, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, the St. Louis Hawks are done. And she's looking at me like I'm a freak. (laughs) (laughs) So the point is – you know, when when it's in your DNA, DNA, as NBA basketball is, you get excited about the game, and you know mm-hmm. you don't you don't broadcast the score on a particular night. And um, you know, we went through that 26 game losing streak, but yeah. I, I remember when they beat the Clippers to to end it. It was it was a great broadcast. So um, no, it's and there you know, th- there's another team out there too that they're playing. You know, this is – I know we get caught up in us 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 and we we we, and but you know they're great players and other teams too. So uh, there's always plenty to talk about and always plenty to get excited about. And I can honestly tell you, I, I'm coming up on 2000 games and another year or so. And um, there's never been a game where I haven't been. In, in fact, I'll tell you what, there was one game there. There was one game in Detroit. It, it was toward the end of, uh, I don't even remember what season it was. And um, I go, boy, it was meaningless game. And I thought, mm-hmm. man, I'm just, I'm just not amped up about this game well that night jerry stackhouse set the uh franchise record for for points in a game it was 42 or whatever it was and so it was it was a good lesson for me to never get caught up in um you know what the record might be or what what the standings are showing and because you never know what you're going to see that particular night and um as a result since then i have never not gotten fired up for a broadcast
1: what (laughs) This might be this is this could be a tough question unless you've spent time thinking about it, which I don't know if you have. So here we go. Um, what what did LeBron's four years here, the last four years, what did they what did they mean to you? Um, and 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 how should fans look back on on what we all just finished?
2: Well, I'm in my office and I'm I can stare across the shelf and I see a championship ring. Uh, I've got four of them. But the one that has Cleveland Cavaliers on it, in 2016, is front and center. Um, that's what I'll remember, and I'll remember the block. I'll, I'll remember the block is the greatest NBA Finals play I ever saw in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know that that's what I remember, and uh, we, we thank him for his, you know, his dedication to his home home area and, and what he did, and um, no one will ever be able to take that particular season away from us when, you know, in a community that, you know, that that's, and I always go back to this, but it's worth repeating again, you know, we're, we're two hours and 15 minutes between Pittsburgh and Detroit and was it? 21, 22 title and counted against the 64 and we're sitting with one, but it, it's cruel. You know, the, the sports gods would put that on a, a great, we're just as good, a, if not better certainly equal in terms of a rabid sports town as those two cities, but just through happenstance, we haven't had the chance. so what that meant in 2016, the generations of families and people who still get choked up like me, when I think about it, um, cause I'm from here. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it happens every time when I look at videos and, um, you know, it'd be the rest of my life. So, uh LeBron obviously spearheaded that, and, uh, and we thank him for that.
1: So that night, it, like this, I'm leading into a question here. Um, that that night, the night they won it all, uh, at the time, my job, I was writing solely about LeBron, and, and Chris Hank was the regular Cavs beat writer. So he wrote a regular game story as soon as they won, and my story as soon as they won was about how LeBron's legacy is complete um, and I, I was, I was very happy with it. You know, a lot of people read the story. I felt really good. Um, but, but my story for the next morning, I was actually really disappointed in. Um, I, I, uh, I, I, I got some time with Dan, uh, Gilbert and, and I was glad to have done that. Um, but I, I just did, I didn't feel like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't feel like I, um, I connected properly with the, with the morning after, like the story that, that should have been told. And, and I and I was lucky uh, to have gotten a chance to walk with LeBron in the parade, so I, I felt better about that. And, and so my, my question for you is, um, how hard was that uh, for for you um, in the finals? Moments like that, when you know ABC takes over, um, and you like you you don't get to be on TV the way you are every night, all night, you know, all these other games, and then you get to the most important game in franchise history and you, you're not on TV. I just, I'm interested. And I think our, 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 uh, listeners would be as well as like what that's like for you to be there, but not be able to, to work the way you're used to.
2: Yeah, it's real hard, but, but it's, they're the rules. And, uh, you know, same with Matt and Rick. If, uh, you know, you can get back to the World Series, it probably mm-hmm. you know, the same thing. So you, you throw yourself into the pregame and postgame. It's just, it, it's hard, but you know, that's why networks spend billions and billions of dollars for the, for the rights. And, um, you know, that's understood, but of course it's hard because you want to be, you know, calling that broadcast to the, to the fans and, and to try to match that moment. And, um, you know, the moment none of us will ever forget. So, but it's, you know, you're not angry about it because those are the rules and you, understand it. So it's, you know, it's no big deal. I mean, that's obviously a moment, Fred, that is
0: going to go down for all of Northeast Ohio Cavs fans, Cleveland sports fans. Um, and, and I think it's going to be tough for, for that to be topped ever, just because of the magnitude of it and, and what it signified. Um, for everybody but but was there another moment throughout the course of your career not that matches that block moment but but is I guess second on that list when when you think back on your career uh that is going to stand out to you that you were able to call
2: you know there are just so many of them because they're you know game enders and you know uh, the game enders and Kyrie had game game winners and, and I mentioned even the the uh end of the 26 game losing streak against the Clippers. I mean, Mm -hmm. he was going crazy. And and so, uh, you know, those are just fun moments, but, you know, the NBA is just loaded with some, some many amazing athletes that uh, continue to defy description. And we, we lived it with LeBron in his 11 years here. And, um, you know, I'm hoping we're going to see that kind of thing in Colin Sexton, for example, or, uh, you know, Kevin love in a different role now. So, um, you know, I, I just immerse myself in the moment. And, mm. and, um, so just to be able to single out one is kind of hard to do. Uh, you know, I, I had the pleasure of watching and calling Isaiah Thomas's games, who I think is, you know, the original Isaiah Thomas is pound for pound, maybe the best player I've, I've ever seen. I say pound for pound because he was six, one or what, 180 pounds. And so, but, but still, LeBron certainly is the, the greatest player I've ever seen. But, uh-huh. So it, it's more more generalities than, than specific moments. But you know, as a broadcaster, you always live for those those game winners. Those are what you what you love to call and and be a part of.
1: So um, you have access that that I don't have uh, that that Chris doesn't have, and then also. Um, you can, I mean, having been around the league as long as you have, uh, you have a perspective that we don't. Which is, I, I'd like you to take us inside as much as you can to explain how different uh, the last four years were in terms of team atmosphere, team protocol, how you practice, when you practice, uh, expectations, the thing, just the things that happened here with LeBron versus virtually any other team you've been around? I mean, we know they're different, um, but it's, I think it would be, it would be good for you to explain maybe how.
2: Well, I mean, just internal expectations in the organization, uh, on the floor, coaching staff, fan base, you know, when you're, uh, when you're in the running for championships, everything gets, uh, you know, put under the microscope even more. So when, when a losing streak occurs, you know, the sky is falling and what's wrong. And then obviously when things turn around and obviously in uh, 14, 15, when LeBron had the back issue. And I remember vividly <clears throat> when he came back in, in a practice session in Phoenix and uh, all of a sudden he was hundred percent healthy and you go, wow, this team's ready to go. And so, um, but you know, it's just attention to detail. And, but, but now I think it's going to be, I think Tai Lou is really going to be able to roll up his sleeves and and really teach and and really develop and um and, and so it's it's just a different mindset but the focus and practice will be just just as intense as it has been the last 4 years uh, you know it, it's it's the old adage it's a marathon not a sprint <clears throat> so <clears throat> excuse me so you know practice sessions become uh, attention to detail getting ready for, for the next uh, you know opponent if the Cavaliers for example were getting ready for Golden State in the regular season the last four years there was never any difference in that practice session versus getting ready for the Atlanta Hawks it really wasn't because they they can't get get ahead of themselves and get too wrapped up into one specific opponent They're, they're professionals and they're you know working on running that offense every single day and defensive rotations and assignments and so uh you know, maybe certain days they would have a little more jump in practice sessions, but uh, in terms of a razor-sharp attention to detail in the regular season, one opponent versus the other, it's really not. Now, obviously, come playoff, timeless practices, you know, you really building a, a game plan for one team, and so those become more focused. But as far as uh, differentiation, you know, there's really not.
1: Okay. But you said – you use the word practice once, all right, yeah, there go. twice, uh, okay, now that you've said it three times, I have to interrupt, they never practice, and I, and I, you know, remember, I mean, in January, they went, what, like, 21 days without a single practice in, in between games, uh, and so that, that was one of the things I was getting at, and I wondered when you realized for the first time, like, oh, my God, this this team doesn't practice the way an NBA team normally does. And, and what is, how different is that going to be this year? Um, Just the fact that they are much younger and they're going to be practicing almost every day. Well, how, what, what kind of difference will that make?
2: Well, just that, you know, I mean, I, I didn't keep a log of how many trips I made to Cleveland clinic courts, but you know, I, I can make that dry with my eyes closed. I wouldn't, wouldn't tell police in Rocky river or Lakewood that, but, <laughs> um, well, I mean, a lot of it was schedule related, you know, no NBA team, you now correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe somebody might on occasion, but teams after back-to-back games don't practice. So it's an automatic day off. And obviously with a older team, Ty was trying to save their legs. And so, um, you know, they didn't need to spend just as much time on the floor in, in terms of preparation. So, but yes, with a younger team, I'm, I'm sure there'd be more practice sessions, but after, uh, you know, back-to-back games. I didn't count them up for this year, but you know, uh, for example, early in October, uh, Brooklyn home, Detroit on the road. Well, the twenty-sixth on a Thursday, you know, there will be no practice. So, uh, you know, he's going to save their legs as well, and it's that's all part of uh, head coach managing, you know, his team and making sure that they're they've got legs for for game nights. But but you know, will the practice sessions be a little longer? Perhaps you know if he's uh, implementing a system and trying to, uh, you know, to teach guys the right way. And, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be a lot of individual work, I'm sure, before and after practice with, with the, you know, Colin Sexton's of the world as, as those guys really get uh, acclimated to the NBA life. And um, Ante Zizic, another great example, who spent so much time with Vitaly Potopico over the last uh, – season and will do so as well as he tries to hone his craft. So it'll, it'll be as much individual, Joe, as opposed to uh, to team, in addition to team, you know, in those practice sessions.
0: Do you think Ty's going to change at all in terms of his style of coaching with more of a younger team than what he had um, in, in the previous years with a championship-ready team?
2: Yeah, and I, and I think he'll, you know, it will remain to be seen and specifically how, you know, it, manifest itself but yeah you know he'll he'll spend even more time you know in player development and, and you know that's that's a positive term in the NBA not, mm-hmm. not one that you're just you know not worried about wins and you're just developing talent no it's it's you're trying to win games as many as you can and at the same time watching players improve and, and that's why you roll up the sleeves with Jordan Clarkson this summer because the kid's got talent and so uh, you know just to try to teach him his way in the, in the Cavalier way and to get the most out of him and, and Larry Nas jr. To, uh, develop his you know, mid range outside game. So all these guys bring a lot to the table and, uh, are in the NBA for a reason. Now the, the quest of any coaching staff or any uh, player development staff is to, is to get the most out of these guys and, and to, uh, to turn them into potential all-stars look at Kawhi Leonard what a great example or Jimmy Butler both guys came in the NBA not known at all for their shooting in fact it was a detriment and both have become really good shooters because of uh, player development so and there are stories of players on every team around the league who've you know improved their crafts and, and added to them because of incredible hard work and and frankly that's what I'm hearing about Colin Sexton I'm just Talking to Avery Johnson at the draft, and, uh, and it was mom and dad. This kid's appetite for hard work is just uh, insatiable. And so um, uh, <laughs> I am really excited to watch this kid develop before our very eyes to, to see what he can develop into.
0: So we're about halfway through our conversation with uh, Cavs TV play by play man Fred McLeod. Uh, we'll have our second part of our conversation right after this. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table, and they're forced to make tough decisions, which often results in hunger. But you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. So donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. It's the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, continuing our conversation with Cavs TV play-by-play man Fred McLeod. It's Chris Fedor, Joe Varden with you. You can find us on iTunes if you like what you see, what you hear all of the stuff that we do on cleveland.com. Give us a like, hit that subscribe button on iTunes. You can search for the wine and gold talk podcast on iTunes as well. Just type in wine and gold talk. And of course, continue to check out all of our stuff online, cleveland.com slash Cavs.
1: Yeah, do that. And, you know, keep reading. Uh, So Fred, um, we, we talked near the top about how um, this team, has a chance to, uh, to maybe surprise, uh, to, to maybe surprise people. Um, and we say that because Vegas does not have high expectations for the Cavs Like something like 30 and a half wins, I think is the over under maybe 31 and a half. Uh, and then, you know, national TV doesn't think very much of the Cavs. Um, really I, by my count, I say only two times on national TV. I know that the company line is seven, but To me, NBA TV doesn't count. Uh, Be careful. Uh, And then, um, you know, there's history. Uh, LeBron has left two teams, um, and neither one made the playoffs. And we already kind of got into, you know, the train wreck that was here the first time it happened, and we all think that this team is set up way differently. Um, But what, to you, uh, so okay, we, we've established that it's going to be a tough road, but maybe they'll surprise people. Maybe they'll be pretty good. Maybe they'll make the playoffs. Could be any of those things. What's the key? Who's who's the guy? Who's the guy that needs to play better than either the league thinks he can play, or maybe than he showed last year, or what? What is it to you? Who's the one or two guys that this swings on?
2: I, I... I'm not dodging the question. I, I just think it's it's a compilation. I, I really do. Um, I mean, Jetty Osman, I think, is going to be, uh, you know, a guy who's going to be right in the middle of 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 this season, just, you know, his improvement. We know, we know Kevin Love is going to be, um, you know, getting a lot more touches and kind of the, in the face of this franchise. And, uh, you know, he wants to be here. And um, we know the kind of numbers – that he put up and, and the kind of numbers that he can put up because of um, his skill set. So um, it's, it's not going to be any one guy. It's really not. Uh, Jr. is going to be an interesting story to see how he can bounce back. And you know, George Hill. Um, you know, th- these guys are now playing without the greatest player in the NBA, but they've all got skills. They've all got confidence in their own ability. And so, um, you know, Jordan Clarkson, as I mentioned, you know. Larry Nash Jr. So it just goes on and on. It's, it's not going to be one guy. Well, you got to—he's he, got to be better, or or yeah. the Cavs are going to lose X. Um, I think Ante Zizic can be a long-time player in this in this league with his uh, skill set around the basket. So for me, it's just going to be fun to watch watch this team develop. Look, when you go to the NBA Finals four straight years, the expectation, of the bar is set so high, right that you know, if you don't win a, a title, it's, um, I don't want to say it's a, a disappointing season, but but you've fallen short. Well, the other 28 teams that didn't make the NBA Finals, you know, they're still open for business the last time I checked, too. And so uh, it, it's part of professional sports. You're not going to be on top every single year. And so uh, you, you still have players, you know, from, from where I sit, I'm, I'm still excited about those games. As I mentioned, those four years prior, we we still gave a hundred and ten percent in every broadcast, and still, you know, you know, never once I go, "Oh, I can't wait till the season's over." No, I'm, I'm excited about that broadcast for that night. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Cleveland fans are gonna are are Cavaliers fans first and foremost, and, and then they're they're fans of, of the players. So, um, it's just, I know, like I said, when you've been to the, the finals four years in a row, the, the expectation is different, but. Uh, A brand-new season still brings excitement.
0: Fred, you mentioned that Kevin wanted to be here, and it was clear with the commitment that he made to the franchise and the franchise making the commitment that they made to him. Um, But this is a guy who came here in 2014 because of what the Cavs were building at that time and because of that phone call that LeBron made to Kevin. Kevin got frustrated in Minnesota because he couldn't get to the playoff stage. So what do you think it is about this situation – that made Kevin want to be here? And why weren't you surprised when that contract extension was signed?
2: Well, he's in a different place mentally. I mean, individually, you know, just being able to talk about, um, you know, the mental hurdles he's had to cross. Mm -hmm. now being a champion, no one can ever take that away from him. So he's just in a different place, you know, professionally and as a man. And so, uh, you know, he's loved it here, Um, you know, Contrary to what some might say, Cleveland is a great place to live. We know it. We all live here, and yep. And so, um, and this organization does things top drawer. He knows that as well. Uh, we Will do what it takes to to win. And, uh, in terms of expenditures, and uh, you know, and, and so and a commitment from from ownership and uh, and a fan base that's incredibly rapid. So uh, there, there's so much for him to gravitate toward and. Uh, now I think he looks forward to being that guy that can really really lead and share now some of his championship knowledge so um, he, he's just in a great place mentally and, and, and physically and um, uh, he, he relishes this opportunity I think it's totally different than when he went through in Minnesota where he was he was trying to learn how to win mm. and obviously couldn't knock that door down to get into the playoffs and, um, Where here he's he's tasting it and now he wants to uh, to share that.
1: I'm looking forward to you uh, artfully dodging this question as well. Uh, Does Colin Sexton start right away in your mind?
2: You know, time's going to tell. I remember when Kyrie Irving came to training camp and sitting with Byron Scott, he said, look, people think he's going to start right away, but he's going to have to earn it. Well, Colin's going to have to earn his playing time, and whether he starts or not, who knows. But the kid's exciting. He's – you know, I was – And I'm not – okay, I'm not comparing him to Russell Westbrook, okay? I'm not (laughs) – but I did want to – but I did – I pay attention to bodies and and frames, and and Uh Colin's got some pretty good-sized shoulders on him. And so I went back and looked at some video of Russell Westbrook when he was a rookie. And and Westbrook's body is is much more defined and and built – you know, he's a man now. So what I'm saying is I I think Colin has a chance to really add – some strength and uh, and some muscle to that frame, and um, you know he's 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 got a lot to like. Avery Johnson just, and I, I think you guys talked to him too in a conference call, but man, face to face, he was just he he was like a wind-up toy. He couldn't stop talking about this kid, and and, and it does no good for Avery his program to oversell a player because if he falls short, then that's a reflection on on him and his program, and he uh-huh. just couldn't say enough good things about him. So. Um, and frankly, I think his jump shot is uh, is better than advertised. I uh, mean you know, I think he's going to continue to refine it. But but what he's got, man, is a motor, and and the desire to play both ends of the floor, and um, you know the length. And um, if he's got the work ethic that everybody says he does, then uh, I wouldn't put any limitations on him. I'm, I'm not saying he's the next Kyrie Irving. I'm not saying he's the next Russell Westbrook, but. But let's see where this, this young guy uh, develops and, and what he develops into.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I don't want to throw out those lofty comparisons either, Fred. But, but his approach and his attitude, it just seems like nothing is going to face him. No matter what stage he's on, no matter how big the game is, no matter what the matchup is going to be, like, he's not going to be afraid of that. And, and that's something that always stood out to me about Kyrie. Now, does he have the gifts, the offensive gifts as Kyrie? that remains to be seen. That's going to have to be developed. Kyrie is one of the best players to come into the NBA in the last 10 years at his particular position, I would say. But but just that that bleep you mentality, like I'm going to kill you on the basketball court mentality, I think that's something that stood out to me about Kyrie, and I see some of those signs from Colin.
2: Yeah, he, he's got that look in his eye. He just, uh, you know, he... he, he... He wants it, and uh, so it's just going to be fun to see, you know, how quickly he can get there, and uh, just through hard, hard work. Remember when Kyrie first came in, you know, his jump shot wasn't pristine. I mean, he just worked at it, worked at it, and it became a a lethal weapon. You know, he had the incredible handle as soon as he walked through the door, but um, where Connell's got that blinding speed, and uh, and I like the fact that he really wants to defend. You know, he wants to be a a two-way point guard, and, and that's hard to do, in this NBA, where you can't touch anybody above the free throw line, so um, but he accepts that challenge. But to answer your question, Joe. I, you know, I don't know if, how much or how soon he'll start. It's similar to Baker Mayfield. You know, do you do you let him watch a lot and then eventually morph into a starter, or is do you throw him, throw him into the fire? And uh, you know, Tyloo will get a sense of that once he sees him in training camp and in the preseason and. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes,
1: Fred. You cannot bring up Baker Mayfield on any medium with Chris. <laughs> you've got oh. to know. You've got to know your audience because now we're going to devolve into this thing about how Baker Mayfield should be playing and Hugh Jackson stinks, and so I, I blame you, Fred.
2: This was just to placate Chris, who's had to talk <laughs> a lot, a lot of Browns over the last uh, you know, several months. So I just thank you, him thank you, him I appreciate it. it. Yeah, right.
0: You've
1: mentioned uh, Zizic quite a bit, and uh, like you, I mean, I, I thought he looked great. I mean, just dominant, really, uh, in, in the few games that he got to play in Vegas. And the opportunity that he got in March, uh, when the game was counted, he, he really played well. He, he really did. But if you look at the roster, Fred, going into the year, um, it's Pretty much identical uh, to what we saw last year in the front court, and so how is he going to get any time?
2: Well, as part of player development and in, in a, the next phase of his uh, career, you know, I'm not speaking for Ty. I don't know what he has in mind, but um, there's still room in the NBA. I know, I know Golden State has made it such a wide open game, but it, it's hard to for everybody to. Play the way Golden State does, and, and so there's room for guys that can do damage in the low post. And so, um, I just like his footwork, I, I his touch around the basket. So, um, again, he's not going to be handed minutes, but um, there, there's going to be opportunities for uh, for Ante Ante to show himself. And um, you know, you, you can't you can't teach size. That's the old adage. And um, back to the basket, he's really comfortable, and, and he's got toughness. And so. Uh, still what 21 years of age. So, uh, we'll see, but it's one of the, to me, one of the fascinating storylines that will unfold is, you know, how much he can, you know, earn in terms of playing time and, and what he does with it.
1: The Cavs have approximately 63 twos and threes on this roster. Uh, And so I think we would say likely that, that that Corver um, would be a candidate to be traded uh, just because he's such a specialist. He's older. His contract is a good one. um, And he might be able to net the Cavs a first round pick that right now they don't have. Um, So this is a two-parter. One, do you think that Kyle makes it through the year on this team and assuming he does, how, how does he fit and how could he help this club, which is obviously a way different club than they were last year because of LeBron? I
2: mean, he's – listen, he's still one of the great shooters in this league. Um, he's, a, he's a quiet voice. I say quiet, just, you know, he knows the right time to say things and, uh, you know, be a voice of reason for the younger guys in that locker room, just like Channing Frye will be in, in a different tone. Um, you know, he's, he's the ultimate professional and, um, you know, this team does have proven veterans on it who can, can score and get it done in this league. And so, um, you know, he'll, whatever role he encompasses, he'll, um, wrap his arms around it and, and give everything he's got. Um, I, you know, I've gotten to know him even on some off days playing some golf with him and uh-huh. he, He's such a such a great person, and, and just a a guy who's so relatable that uh, I can see why, as a teammate, everybody loves him. And you know, he's from Dennis Schroeder when he was with him Atlanta to to uh, LeBron James. I mean, he's he offers when asked. He offers tips on on the pure art of shooting. You know, did it with Jeff Green last year. He just and I remember Mike Budenholzer early in the season when he came in and I asked him what he'll remember most about coaching Kyle. And he said, well, the guy can do anything he wants after after he's done. If he wants to be a head coach, if he wants to be a general manager, if he wants to be just a shooting coach, he will excel at that because of uh, the kind of person he is and, and just his knowledge about the game and, and the art of shooting. He, he knows as much about the intricacies of shooting of any player I've ever been around because i'm fascinated by that too because I'm, I'm so into golf and and we relate the two together there's there's so many minor details of the golf swing that that mean a big difference in how you strike it And the same same with shots and so uh, i i wish i could understand that and carry it to the golf course because i break it down into like 20 different pieces where on the shot <laughs> In the NBA game, you don't have time to think. Well, is my elbow here? Is my shoulder here? Is my or my knees flexed here? You know, but through his own preparation, he's he's really taken it to a different art form. I I love talking shooting with him.
0: Best golfer on the team, Fred.
2: Well, he's right there. Yeah. With his kids, he doesn't get a chance to play a lot. Uh, you know, I haven't played with Jr. in a few years, so I know he's uh, he just loves the game. In the, especially in the off season where he can, uh, you know, spend a little time with it. Um, those guys are probably neck and neck. I, I remember one we had an uh, e- extra day off and, and watch uh, watched Kyle hit, hit some three woods and he just, uh, just bombs it. So, um, you know, it's, it's six, seven, he's got that wide arc and um, I'm sure once his kids are grown and he's, you know, re- retired, he will uh, he'll get to it. And, uh, you know, those guys all have such great hands. I mean, to this day, Austin, at age 70, he just won his club championship. And, you know, around the greens, he's just, he's a magician. So those guys that are, you know, professional athletes, that they carry it right into golf because they've got the hand-eye coordination that the three of us just are never going to be able to manufacture on a consistent basis. As you head into this
0: year, Fred, um, I guess, how do you approach it? Um, what do you think is, is the storyline um, beyond the obvious one of of LeBron's no longer in Cleveland, he's in Los Angeles, how are the Cavs going to do? But but even deeper than that, like with Kevin Love, with Colin Sexton, whatever the case may be, um, that storyline that you're going to focus on that you think is going to, um, I guess, tell the story for how this season unfolds
2: for the Cavs? Well, the backdrop is fighting for a playoff spot. I mean, obviously, Boston, Philly, you know, Toronto, uh, Indiana, Milwaukee, um, you know, Washington, but, you know, certainly look like playoff teams. But, you know, is Detroit uh, a playoff team in the East? We'll see. Um, So the Cavaliers in that conversation. Um, I just, you know, look at the – with no disrespect to the – 2010-11 2010, 11 roster. This is just a a much younger and, and, and deeper basketball team. So, um, so why not us? I guess is what, what <laughs> the guys in the locker room are thinking. Well, you know, why aren't we a playoff team? Of course, of course, they're thinking that way. So uh, that, and then just watching young guys improve and, and, and bring energy and uh, listen, they love playing with LeBron James. Who wouldn't? He's arguably the best player of all time, but. These are also professional athletes that are here for a reason. And so when when you and I say you, anybody who whether it's Vegas or whomever says, Well, they're not a great team, well, you take that as a as a personal shot and, mm-hmm. and you want to prove that that you're a playoff basketball player, that that you can help lead your team. So everybody in that locker room has an intense amount of pride and they're gonna to want to show it for the fans of Cleveland and and for themselves and and for their teammates and for the the coaching staff that uh, they can get the most out of their ability. So that's why I say we get caught up when the focus seems to be different for you guys writing stories and, and maybe, um, you know, for fans watching games because the expectations are to get back to the finals and win a title when, when you've been to the mountaintop, like we were two years ago. But there's still other teams that have interesting stories to tell and interesting reason to watch games. And and so uh, we'll be right in the the middle of it because uh, you want your team to win. And so um, on every single night, there'll be a different, different uh, game story that we'll uh, develop.
1: So David Blatt, when he was here, used to call me the Grim Reaper. Uh, and Ty, on occasion, has made similar suggestions. Um, but, but, but the point was, when, when LeBron was here, and we were talking earlier about expectations, um, there, there's a certain level of accountability that is just is demanded. Um, if LeBron James is here and he's on your team, um, not only are you expected to go to the finals, but you're expected to act and play like it during the regular year. And I certainly felt, and and I wasn't alone, um, that it was our job uh, in the press to kind of maintain that level of accountability, uh, especially at times when focus seemed to wane on the part of the players and and what have you. Um, And then I think going into this year, I I do think that the, I think it's a little different. Um, Chris and I have said on this pocket, me even more than him, several times on this podcast, that I believe they could do this, uh, that, they, that they could make the playoffs. Um, and it would be a hell of a story if they do. But, but I, I'm not approaching this season expecting them to make it. Um, and I just – I feel like because of what history tells you about losing LeBron, I, I think that this team should get more room to breathe and, and to mature and get better without kind of the constant – demand for for um accountability in a way that like i said was here for the last four years so that's a little bit how i'm looking at it uh but fred um you know i know you're on the dl so you didn't have anything else to do today but uh we really really appreciate all the time you gave us i think you gave us more than an hour um and it was just awesome just to get your uh, your insights and uh you know Obviously, the ratings speak for themselves. Um, everybody loves your work, loves what you do. Uh, before we let you go, um, one of your coworkers, uh, one of your partners, Allie Clifton, uh, is leaving, leaving Cleveland to head out west uh, to be a um, a host on Lakers programming. And uh, I'm sure you're uh, happy for her, and also sad to see her go. What, um, you know, what what do you take away from your time with Allie?
2: You know, just how she grew. Um, you know, she really worked at it. Um, yeah, we'll miss her absolutely. You know, she's, um, you know, very approachable as a person, you know, outside of basketball, outside of the profession. Um, you know, they had to really give up a lot. People don't realize, you know, she was living here during the season and her husband, Jason, coaching in Toledo. They, they had to really, you know, had to really give up a lot of time with each other, and so now they get to spend – time with each other in, in Los Angeles and Jason moves on to the next phase of his uh, his career so uh, you know it, it's a big part of of our business and, and probably even more so than the, the written media side uh, and I, I worked in St. Joseph, Missouri, Steubenville, Ohio, Cleveland, San Francisco, Detroit and back home so uh, people jump around a lot in our business just through opportunities and uh, you know Allie had to Take advantage of an opportunity. We wish her well, and we'll miss her. And, uh, and whomever uh, fills her shoes, we'll welcome them with open arms, and uh, you know, be excited on her broadcasts. Um, you know, she'll do well because she uh, she really works at it.
1: Absolutely, uh, we will miss her. She will do. She'll do great. Uh, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing her when we head out there in January, uh, because she's not going to be traveling. Um, in this job so we won't see her when the Lakers arrive uh, here in November uh anyway the three of us uh Fred Chris and I have a lot of, we'll have a lot of work to do between now and then um we're all going to try to lay somewhat low here for the next uh about the next three or four weeks until training camp starts but uh, once again uh thank you to Fred um and thank you to, to Fedor, as always, for running this and, and doing such a good job with everything he does at Cleveland.com. Uh, even some of his brown steaks are all right. And uh, we just, you know, we're, we're very grateful to the audience uh, for you guys. who You guys have been tuning in each week and growing, um, growing our podcast, which uh, we, we enjoy doing and, and looking forward to, uh, to many, many more. Here with Cleveland.com. So uh, thank you to you as well. And uh, we will be in touch soon. So thanks for listening.
2: Yeah, enjoy it, guys. Thanks, as always. And uh, we'll, we'll be back at it sooner than, uh, sooner than you know. We've got NBA meetings, by the way, coming <laughs> back in a couple of weeks in New York. And that'll, uh, that'll really kind of kick it off. And then, uh, then we we'll hit the ground running. Right around the corner. Can't believe it. I know. Thanks, guys.